everybody, this is Geneva of Geneva's Closet Talk Show. Please make sure you like and share this video and subscribe to Geneva's Closet if you haven't already done so right here on YouTube. And you can follow me on Facebook at what? At Geneva's Closet. And you can email me at genevascloset22 at gmail.com. Now, let's get into the news. If you have not checked out my video, Steve Harvey Wife and Side Chicks, please make sure that you go do that now so when you're listening to this book, you'll have a better understanding of some of the things that I'm talking about. This book, Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, The King, His Queen, and His Other Woman, is written by the other woman, Miss Terry Smith, and her nine-year relationship with Steve Harvey. She wrote the book in 2000, came out with the book in 2004, and in 2007, she took Steve Harvey to court because he was trying to do everything that he could do to stop her from having this book come out. But that's all right, people, because we got it. There are 415 pages to Miss Terry Smith's book. I will not be reading all 415 pages, but I'll be reading most of it because most of it is definitely interesting and I know something that you want to hear. But if there are some parts that I won't be reading, but I feel like that you should have some idea of it, I will absolutely give you a quick little rundown. But other than that, Check this out. Terry Smith, a.k.a. we'll find out who she is in this book, is at Inspire Magazine Studio getting ready to do an interview. Hello, Carrie Strong. I'm Karen Furman, and I'm delighted to meet you at last. A hand was suddenly in front of Carrie, dragging her eyes away from their wandering through the darkness beyond the studio lights. The talk show hostess was tall, also slender, with a perfect blonde page boy bob, discreet makeup, and a peach colored suit with only pearl earrings for jewelry. Carrie extended her own hand, the pleasure is mine. Do you find all of this a bit overwhelming? Karen waved a hand at the darkness as she settled into her chair, clipping on her microphone and signaling to the control booth. Sometimes, but it doesn't bother me. Great, it makes my job a lot easier. Excuse me, Carrie. Before they get started, she turned and barked at a young, docile girl who appeared to be in um, an intern or office gopher because she was standing to the side of the camera doing nothing, holding a small note notepad and pen waiting for instructions. Heather, just in case Miss Strong's throat gets dry, would you please get a glass and fill it up with cold water? Put it here on the corner of the table in front of her. Thank you. Then she turned to Carrie and asked, are you ready to get started? She lifted a ringless hand and lights flashed on the cameras around them. Sure. I read your book and I must say I could relate. I've dated a few Stefan Harvels myself, but none of them came even close to being six foot of anything or wealthy, but they did tell an incredible number of lies. Now let's just do a sound check first. Give us your name and book title. Thank you, Heather. Carrie said when she placed a glass on the table so it was within reach. Carrie lifted her chin and spoke directly to the steady blue gaze of the hostess. My name is Carrie Strong and I I am the author of the New York Times bestseller, Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do. Good. A smile spread from the blue eyes to the peach-tinted lips. I just want you to relax. We'll edit where we need to after. So right now, we're just going to talk. A nod to the director and Furman swung into interviewing mode. After the introduction and capsule view of the book, she turned to her guest. Tell us, Carrie, where the material from your book came from. Well, I kept the journal for 10 years of my relationship with Stefan Harvel. The words are his lies put into print. 
Furman's eyes flicker down to the notes in her lap and back up. It's such an amazing story. A nonfiction bestseller and upcoming movie, both of which are the results of being emotionally and physically abandoned ultimately homeless, then leaving a volume of this journal where a librarian discovers it and passes it on to a relative who owns the country's largest publishing houses. It's almost unbelievable. I imagine you're grateful to Oprah Winfrey for encouraging us to keep a journal. Carrie smiled briefly. Yes, of course. And it does seem like a remarkable chain of coincidences. I wouldn't believe it myself if I hadn't left it. Do you ever think about Stefan? Blue eyes bore into the brown ones with the same intensity as the camera's red lights. Only as a figure in my story. Would Mr. Harvell deny the content of the book? Of course, Carrie smiled. Why are you so sure? The smile grew broader because the title says it all. Karen Furman smiled back, a conspiracy of agreement. Take us back to the beginning, Carrie. When did the lying start? I met Stefan Hervel over a decade ago in Atlanta, Georgia while attending a comedy show. At 34 years old, he was seven years my senior. A couple of years before that, he had gotten divorced from his son's mother. He had been doing comedy for close to a decade already and was well known within the black community. Back then, it was a different hustle for them, just small clubs with the capacity of 300 at most. Sometimes he did three shows a night every Friday and Saturday just to make sure he was out there in front of people getting noticed. I'm a witness that hard work never goes unnoticed. He made it. He made it big. Carrie's head nodded in assurance. It had been pretty amazing experiencing the miracle of faith. From clubs with a capacity in the low hundreds to the Coliseum that seated thousands of his fans in comfort. With faith and hard work, he got exactly what he prayed for. Today, he's one of the, um, America's most recognized comedians, and appearance is very important to him. Yes, I know, Karen Furman said with a wryness that spoke volumes. Let me tell you, since the station announced that I scheduled to interview Carrie Strong, everywhere that I went, people, male and female, wanted to know about Stefan's perfect hair. And from some of the men, I'm quite sure it was envy. Let me see, she said, turning over the note cards in her hands. While she was on her hunt, Carrie took a sip from her glass of water. Okay, here are a couple of questions that were asked. Who cuts his hair and how does he keep it so perfect? Before Carrie answered, she bent forward and put the glass down. People wonder about his hair now that he has hair because when we met, he was starting to bald on the crown of his head. So he crowned himself with implants once the studios got hold of him and started taking his image as seriously as Stefan does. His hair has to be perfect, so a personal barber travels with him to make sure that trademark style never changes. Really? Yes, but he can afford to look like he's a heartthrob now. As for the clothes, Carrie paused and crossed her leg, left leg over her right knee. The clothes have gotten flamboyant thanks to his personal tailor. Lots of stylish suits now that he can afford the whole suit as opposed to just the vest like back in the beginning. Then there is that hit movie Say What that grossed Armstar Studio millions of dollars where he got top billing over four other comedy kings. 
He is a self-made millionaire who always reminds us that he came from money through God's good grace. He makes it no secret that he was raised in the projects of Newark, New Jersey. He stays in the best hotels, traveling back and forth to shows in the limo. His life sounds glamorous. Yes, today it is. But in 1993, my little white 92 Volkswagen Golf that showed for him to his Atlanta gigs was all he could afford. Stefan now has the best car, a big house, um, and all the other perks. But even with all these things, he is still a simple man. Give him spare time, which is so hard to find a fishing rod, and he'd be the picture of an Otis Redding song sitting on the top of the bay. As he became more and more famous, there was less privacy, less chance to have normal friendships, and less trust in why people wanted to be close to him. I can tell you ladies right now, don't waste your time chasing Stefan Harvell. If he didn't know you before, he got the money, you haven't got a prayer of getting to know him now. There was a time when he liked to relax by just cruising through a mall, but there's a price to pay for fame. Today is impossible for him to go anywhere public and not be recognized by fans. I had no idea back then in that dinky little club that I was getting on a roller coaster ride that would never stop. Her eyes looked through and beyond Karen Furman that it would be 10 years of joy, lies, love, infidelity, and pain, all ending up in the pages of a book and on the big screen. And to answer your question of when did the lie start, Carrie turned and stared into the camera on the right, the minute our relationship did. The hostess swung to the same camera and pronounced her verdict. And I say it ended pretty well for you. We'll take a break right now and be back in a moment with today's guest, Carrie Strong, author of Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, which will have its world movie premiere tonight. Don't forget to run out and get your copies, ladies and gentlemen. It's a blockbuster. Chapter one of this book starts off called How It All Began Our Day in October and Terry Smith, a.k.a. Carrie Strong, so I may just be calling her Terry, she is talking about her mother. Her mother happens to love this guy that she used to have some dealing with, that Terry used to have some dealing with back in the day by the name of Linwood before her brief marriage that she had. And her mother gives Linwood Terry phone number. He contacts her, said that I'm coming to Atlanta soon. I would like to come by and uh, see you. You know, we haven't seen each other in a long time. And Terry speaks of him. So I'm going to give you a little brief rundown about who Linwood is. And it says, Linwood is a wonderfully kind man, but vulnerable. There was something close between us a long time ago before my brief marriage he remained close friends with my family and never forgot to call my mother during the holidays once i heard his voice on the phone it was clear that he still loved me in the past when we dated he knew i was seeing other men one day i had turned down linwood to go out with someone else later that evening at a house party we attended there was linwood dateless to my embarrassment and humiliation it turned out that my date and linwood had mutual friends we never talked about it but he knew that there were others whenever i was out with him i tried to be considerate of his feelings if someone else caught my eye any flirting was discreet eye contact with a return glance or a slight tilt of the head accompanied by a smile at this point in the book linwood is at terry's house in atlanta um it is sunday morning one of terry's best days of the week she absolutely loves sunday morning she loved oprah winfrey 
And, of course, you know, Lynn Wood is trying to flirt with Terry a little bit. But, you know, she knows that they're just friends and she's trying not to go there with them. So this is what's taking place. They're eating breakfast or finishing breakfast. And then, while we were in the kitchen finishing our breakfast, the phone rang. It was my girlfriend, Tara, the ladies' group event coordinator. Tara's a human Rolodex. If it can be organized, she's done it. If it can't, she stream rolls right over it. Hey, girl, how's it going? Stefan Harvell is in town. Tara never did say hello before she started speaking. She just got down to business. That comedian, Stefan, is here in Atlanta, and I want you to come and see him with me tonight. Stefan, who? What? Girl, I don't know who you are talking about. The last few times he was in town, I missed him. Yep, she just kept rolling on. I love this guy, comedian. He's just cute, too. Really? Tara, I don't know who he is. And my friend Linwood is here visiting. Okay, so he can come with us to the comedy club. Ask him if he likes comedy. Does he know who Stefan Harvell is? He must know him. Stefan is a comedian that does this joke about, slow down, girl, we're just finishing breakfast. With the twist, I turned the phone away from my ear. Linwood, do you know who Stefan Harnell? Somebody is. Who? No, Harvell Har. Tyra was screaming into the phone. Do you like comedy? Sure. Oh, you mean Stefan Harvell? Yes, that sounds like it. Harvell, do you like his act? He's a headliner at the comedy club tonight, and my girlfriend wants to see him. Linwood put his juice glass down and nodded. He was just in my hometown, but I missed him. He's pretty good. If your girlfriend wants us to go with her tonight, tell her I don't mind. The phone squawked again. Girl, I think he is so hilarious. He does this joke about Ike Rison, the boxer, that has me right on the floor. Girl, it is too funny. Come on and say you'll go with me tonight. What else could I do? I had the steamroller on the phone. And Linwood? Who wouldn't say no to me if I suggested he walk across burning coals to get the newspaper? Tyra said she'll make a reservation for three for the last show. By that night, I wasn't at my best. I can feel the onset of a cold. I wasn't into comedy. I didn't recognize the entertainer's name. Okay, I wasn't into comedy a lot. But I did go occasionally, but not with the headache. I had a friend in town, though, and I was going to make an effort to show him some fun on his last night. If it killed me. We were late arriving at the club, but the show hadn't started. Our reserved seats were gone, though. We were asked to stand by the door while they attempted to find three seats together. Linwood and I were right at the entrance while Tara was behind us. Obviously, she wasn't far behind. I kept getting an annoying pain in the lower part of my back while something pushed me. After a few more pushes, I realized it was Tara elbowing me. Girl, that's him. That's him, she whispered. What is wrong with this girl? I thought to myself as the nudging became more painful. I turned and demanded, that's him who? She looked at me like I had just fallen off the turnip truck. Who have I been talking about? Stefan. I turned to where she was gazing soulfully at the man emerging from a dark hallway. A light went on somewhere in my brain. Oh yes, how could I have forgotten? A six foot something brother with seductive big lips and eyes that are too small for the size of his head. I have seen his act before. He's pretty funny and not a bad dresser. Harvell approached us with a concerned look on his face. Later, I found out that he seen me arrive as he was going in the office door and he turned right around and came back out. Is everything all right, he asked. Are they taking care of you all? Yes. 
I let the smile linger just a fraction longer than necessary. Then I said a totally stupid thing. I have no idea why. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. I said I didn't know him, Tyra. I never said I hadn't seen him before. It would have been pretty hard not to see him when we were married for two years. But you never really get to know any man in that short a time. His mouth opened, then closed. That first look that said, she's cute. Now said, she's crazy. I'm just joking, I stammered, teasing my friend here, because I told her I'd never seen you. I rushed into the sudden silence, blushing and tripping over my own tongue. I have seen your act before, really, and I guess I better introduce myself, because I'm not sure my friends will admit knowing me now. I'm Carrie. The tension broke as Harvell started to chuckle. I could hear Tyra giggling behind me. She was right. He was fine. Maybe a little shy but real fine. You were trying to remember who I was, weren't you? I smiled at him. No, I was thinking, what's this woman talking about? She done married some man, split, and now she's getting me mixed up with him. She's cute, but everything ain't working upstairs. Before I had a chance to respond, the club's hostess came to seat the three of us. Tyra went in first. Are you ready, baby doll? Linwood asked. He placed his arm around my waist, a gesture meant for Stefan to see, and motioned me in. I'd only taken one step out of his embrace before I felt Stefan touch my arm. Linwood's arm dropped, and he continued to move forward when I paused beside Stefan. Yes? Is your male friend your man? He asked in a low voice. No, he's just a friend from out of town. I watched as one eyebrow rose higher than the other. He had a look of disbelief on his face. Linwood could never hide his feelings, and Harvell had picked up on it like everyone else. Even the ones who weren't quite sure of his status knew what Linwood wanted to be, and it wasn't just a friend. Uncertain, but willing to gamble, he asked if I would wait for him after the show. I want to talk to you, he said. Tyra and Linwood were already seated by the time I got to the table. Linwood, always considerate, had left the middle seat open to his right so I could also sit next to my girlfriend. He stood up when I reached the table and pulled out my chair, just enough so I could slip in. Are you comfortable? Linwood asked, then placed both hands on my shoulders and squeezed them just a little. Yes. I turned to look up at him and gently touched his hand on my shoulder. You are so sweet, Linwood. Thank you. I smiled, trying to make up for my tardiness. After he was assured that I was comfortable and before sitting down again, he removed his suit jacket and hung it carefully around the back of his chair. Because I sensed that he had questioned what had gone on, I started talking about the display of posters that I saw on the wall around the room. Look at all the pictures of different comedians on the wall. There's Eddie Murphy. And Richard Pryor. A waitress walked up to our table to take our order. Linwood gave her his 100-watt smile and asked for a martini for Tara and water with lemon for me. Where were you, Miss Girl? Tara hissed in my ear. You know, we should talk later. I patted her hand. Thank God Linwood was busy charming the waitress. I just smiled and settled in to enjoy the show. I could hardly tell him I made a date for afterwards. Is everything all right? 
Even though she is one of my best friends, I had to cut the interrogation off before his attention turned back to us. Let's just be quiet and watch the show. But it took all the strength I had not to scream, girl, he wants to see me later. You're sure? Okay. Step one, turn to face her. Two, stare. Three, slightly move head twice toward Linwood and then compress lips. Most people can read the body language that says, read my lips. This isn't a good time, but it's sometimes necessary to open eyes a little wider and glare. Yes, I'm sure. Okay. Linwood and Carrie, you are going to love his show. Oh, and I know that he's funny because I've seen him on HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam show a couple of times. Linwood's tone was confident. Then he got serious. The success of our generation of comedians is largely due to the talent of young black men like Russell Simmons, who today is a role model to all blacks because he found a niche and developed it. He took a back alley comedy show to cable networks that were looking for edgy concepts. The comedians on the show exposed mainstream viewers to a new kind of talent. He sat back with a nod. For Linwood, this was a major speech. Not that he was ever at a loss for words. Nor was Tara. She seized on the topic and rung up a few more points out of it. That's because most of what they're talking about mirrors their life. I don't care if you're black or white. When you're listening to the stand-up, it's real, entertaining, and what's most importantly, funny. Hey, I'm all for a little televised cable program where being black guarantees you a chance. Some of them have gotten their own one-man stand-up shows on the network from starting out that way. And I believe Stefan is going to get his own HBO special as well, Tyra said, then netted on about what he was doing now to get himself that special. She was right, of course. I was impressed and excited to hear that starting next season, he'd be the new host of a top-rated talent show on television. That was a pretty big deal for a small-time black comedian. Speaking of which, here he comes now. It was a great show. People laughed and they were still smiling when the applause was over and the lights came up completely. The noise level rose as chairs were moved and waitresses began circulating the room. Linwood didn't waste any time grabbing his coat and putting it on as he stood up. That was when I leaned over to my right and whispered to Tyra, Stefan asked me to meet him after the show. You got any quick ideas on how I can make this happen? Um, I don't know, girl. Linwood is already up here walking around reading the names on the bottom of the posters. Maybe he's already got a sense that something is up with you and Stefan. It definitely looked like he ready to go right now. Don't you think, Tyra asked. No, I don't know. And what time is it, Tyra? She looked down at the watch on her wrist and back up at me. It's a few minutes before midnight. Look. Linwood is over there skinning and grinning with the waitress. She said it in such a low tone that if I wasn't facing her to see her mouth, I wouldn't have understood what she was saying. We really need to say or do something now because this place is almost empty, she whispered. I glanced casually around the club and spotted three sisters in the corner near the entrance sitting at a table. Tara, apparently this place isn't empty enough. A woman's instinct is a powerful thing. By the tone of my voice and emphasis on the word apparently, Tara knew something was up. She looked in my face, then together we shifted our eyes toward the corner behind her. 
Who is it? She asked, then picked up my glass and finished drinking the rest of my water. There were three sisters at a table near the door. They were hanging around waiting on something or someone. Two were sitting down looking bored. One girl had her hands folded across the table with her head down. The other had her shoes off and was rubbing her feet. I have no idea, but that Miss Thing standing up looking at a compact mirror, patting her face and putting on lipstick, if I had to bet, I bet money that she was waiting for Stefan. How do you know that they don't know him? I don't. But look, 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 look. here he comes. Stefan walked into the room through the same door where he had greeted me in the hallway. He walked right past those girls headed in my direction. Linwood was on the opposite side of the room near the stage flirting with the waitress that had served us during the show. But when Linwood spotted Stefan, he started moving towards me too. Hey, I enjoyed the show, I smiled. Thanks, he replied, ducking his head in a bashful way. Stefan, let me introduce my friends. This is Tyra, one of your biggest fans. Tyra jumped right in. Well, let me tell you, Stefan, I really enjoyed your show. But I think when you tell that joke about the boxer, it's hilarious. You didn't do that one tonight. Yeah, I told it in the earlier show. I don't like telling the same jokes twice on the same night. He smiled and raised his left eyebrow as to ask, is that okay? Watching him, it came to me that he favors a young Richard Pryor. I was musing on the comparisons when I felt the presence of Linwood hovering over me. Excuse me, Stefan. This is Linwood, a friend of mine visiting from out of town. I introduced Linwood that way to make sure Stefan knew that I was being straight with him. Hey, man, how you doing? Linwood asked, stepping forward so that he put himself between Stefan and me. He held out his right hand the way men do. Stefan was taken back for a moment when Linwood intruded between us. It's good, man. It's all good, Stefan said while shaking his hand with a questioning look on his face. I glanced over at Tyra, who was standing across from me now, and next to Stefan. When I saw them shaking hands, it seemed to erase Linwood's earlier tenseness. Watching you perform live is pretty funny. Man, your facial expressions are hilarious. Are you doing another show here tomorrow? No, nah, man, I have an earlier flight to catch in the morning, Stefan replied. Then Stefan asked Linwood where he was from, but before he could answer, the little tramp who'd been standing next to a table by the door interrupted. She'd been practicing her full-lipped pouty look and was still at it when she tapped Stefan on the shoulder and then moved around so that he could get the full impact. If she pushed out her chest any further, she'd have fallen over. It was way too large for her skinny five-foot body. Excuse me, everyone, she said in an irritating, demanding, but polite way. Once she had everyone's attention, she looked at Stefan and said, Didn't you see me standing there when you walked in? Because you walked right past me. I've been waiting over there for about 45 minutes to speak with you. My girls are ready to go. She wrapped her hands around her, around his biceps and leaned her body into his. I'm close to five foot inches taller than she was. And if I could see how close her boobs were to falling out of her low cut blouse, then I'm sure someone of Stefan's height looking down had an eagle's eye view. 
Could you excuse yourself from your friends for a few just so we can talk? She smiled sweetly at Linwood. I'm sure they won't mind. Then her eyes swung to me with just the flash of message that said, Bitch, I'm about to take your man. She squeezed Stefan's biceps a little tighter and pulled motioning him in the direction of her friends. I was so focused on the, the twit's boldness that I hadn't even noticed the tyrant was now standing next to me until I felt that annoying pain from her elbow hitting mine. Girl, can you believe her? Tyra whispered. I took one step forward then said, hey, listen, Stefan, we can go. No, 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 wait, wait. He put his hand up in front of me. Hold on, I'm going to handle this. Please wait. Whew. Breathe. I took a gamble that Stefan would choose me and send the twits away. He took his right hand, put it around hers, and pried her grip loose from his arm. Hey, I don't know you, so don't come up to me acting like I do, he told her. The gamble paid off. She poked out her bottom lip and sulked. I just wanted to talk to you privately for a second to tell you how much I enjoyed your show. Thank you, but I don't, but I can't give you any time. And now, please, I'm talking to some friends, Stefan said, then turned his back towards her. He was stern, but had remained a gentleman. Everyone's eyes were on her as she strutted towards the door, tossing back over her shoulder that Stefan doesn't have to worry about her spending another cent to see his ass anymore. Her friends were now standing in the hallway holding her purse. Once she left, it was like a giant sigh went around. I looked at Tyra. She looked over at me. Then at Linwood, Linwood watched me, watching Stefan watch me. Out of nowhere, Linwood says, wow, man, I think you lost a fan. The awkward moment passed as Tyra and I started to laugh. Stefan, on the other hand, was only too willing to give Linwood a chuckle. He brought his wrist sporting a nice alligator band watch up to his chest to check the time. Perfect. Without an obvious attempt to appear intrusive and no time to come up with another option, I reached out to grab his wrist. I'm sorry. My watch stopped. Could I see what time it is so I can reset mine? Yes, Carrie. He had a big smile on his face. I think because I was touching him. Thank you, Mr. Man. Oh, my. I don't believe it's 1.30 in the morning. Truth be told, I wasn't ready to go home. Tyra never did come up with a miracle that would get me some time alone with Stefan, so it was up to me to find a ploy that wasn't obvious. I was still holding on to his wrist when Stefan asked if he could talk to me for a moment. Okay, maybe being direct does work best. It definitely saves time. Yes, I said, then excuse myself from Tyra and Linwood. I stepped to the side with him. Look, Carrie, what are you guys going to do? He asked. I shrugged. Go home, I guess. Linwood is leaving tomorrow. So, the two of you are just friends? He stated in a matter-of-the-fact way. Hey, look here, this ain't what I'm about. You may not believe me, but I have never done this before. I don't pick up women when I'm on the road. When I'm working, I take care of business. I stay in my hotel room until it's time to do my gig. But Carrie, we ain't really had a chance to talk. I haven't eaten since yesterday morning. Are you hungry? Would you? I mean, did you drive? Yes, but they, I looked over to where Tyra and Linwood had been standing, but they weren't there. I'm not sure where they went, but they're riding with me. 
Would you and your friends like to go to the Waffle House for breakfast? He asked, taking my hand. I didn't know about them, but I was game. Let me find them an axe, I said, and squeezed his hand right back. As he walked towards the door, I saw them standing in the hallway talking. By the shock expression on Tyra's face and the way Linwood was driving his fist repeatedly into his palm, um, it looked like Tyra was on the receiving end of a rant that she wasn't enjoying. Carrie, I'm going to go get my things in the office. I'll meet you back here, Stefan said before walking down the hall in the opposite direction from the front entrance. Hey, guys, why did you leave the room? Because the waitresses were cleaning up and one of them wanted to vacuum, but was holding off because we were standing there talking, Tyra said. Oh, I didn't notice. Are you guys hungry? Do you feel like going to the Waffle House to get something to eat? I asked, looking at Tyra and hoping that she could read that I needed some help here. Not for me, thanks, Linwood replied. Was almost guaranteed because he'd guessed that Stefan was coming along. Well, I am starving and I love the Waffle House and bacon there. Do you mind, Linwood, if we go to the Waffle House? I asked using my pouty face. He smiled. No, baby doll, I don't mind. Thank you, Linwood. Yeah, thank you, Linwood. I'm hungry even if you aren't. Tyra put her arms around his shoulder. Stefan walked up. Hey, is everyone okay? Is everything all right? Are we cool? Yeah, we're cool, I answered quickly. Let's go. I'll be driving myself. Would one of you like to ride with me? No, that's okay. We're fine. Okay, I'll follow you to the Waffle House on Roselle Road, Stefan said, walking out the front door ahead of us. It's cold out here tonight, and I know Carrie wasn't feeling good earlier. Give me the keys, Carrie. You guys can wait right here until I bring the car around. He held out his hand as I meekly dropped the keychain into it. He turned on a hill and followed Stefan out. Thanks, Linwood. I called out after him. Then I spun around. Tara, tell me quickly, because we only got a few minutes before he brings the car up. What was going on in the hallway between you and Linwood? Oh, girl, he was pissed off at Stefan's nerve, buttoning into our group. He was also pretty uptight about Stefan's purpose in speaking to you alone. The funny thing was, when I asked him if he was upset with you, he said no. She's just being herself. Carrie's a friendly person. Girlfriend, I believe Linwood thinks you can walk on water. Just then, we seen the car pull up. With a little smirk, Tyra said, Carrie, your horseman and carriage awaits. She touched my arm as we walked out the door and said, just don't go lighting any matches, okay? Because I got the feeling there is a mighty short fuse on both of them. The Waffle House was packed and had a waiting time of about 30 minutes at least. We were the quietest group sitting in the lobby area waiting for a table. Nobody appeared to be interested in making small talk except for Tyra. She was still right up there on cloud nine. Not only had she met the man himself, now she was there waiting to sit down and have breakfast with Stefan Harvell. I wish I could have been as cool as she was. The atmosphere between Linwood and Stefan was pretty thick. The way they were so careful to avoid eye contact, I could envision them circling each other like two lions staking out their territory. With the amount of tension that was building between them, the only one looking forward to actually getting a table was Tyra. Despite the excitement of being there with Stefan, I still wasn't feeling my best, and the night was dragging on, so I decided to get myself and everyone else out of the predicament we found ourselves in. Are you hungry, Stefan? I asked. Yeah, 
But this crowd, uh, I'm not really feeling. He looked uncomfortable in the very crowded and public setting. I wasn't feeling the place either. Sorry, everyone. I hate to be the party pooper, but it feels a little like my cold is winning the battle the cold tablets that I took earlier. If anyone else is game, I have plenty of bacon, eggs, blueberry, waffle mix, and juice in the refrigerator. And Tylenol in the medicine cabinet at home, I said. Then I jumped up and turned to face them with my arms open wide. If we skip the waffle house, wait, and go home, we can kill two birds with one stone. The first kill is Tyra can make her famous these waffles are the shit breakfast that she cooks for us girls when we drop in on her after the gym. Everyone looked at Tyra and burst out laughing because her eyes were bugged out in surprise. Thanks, Carrie, for the invitation to slave over a hot stove. And the second kill, let me guess, Linwood washes the dishes, she asks in a playful, sarcastic way. No, I would never expect any of my guests to wash the dishes, just to cook. I have a built-in dishwasher, I reply, but truthfully, if we go home, I can get some drugs into me and lay down. Linwood and Tyra were all for going home to grab something out of the refrigerator to eat. Stefan, you are welcome to join us, I said, knowing that he would decline. Nah, that's all right. I'm going to head back to the hotel. I'll just wait and grab something to eat at the airport. Hey, it was real nice hanging with you guys. Stefan shook Linwood's hand and reached over me to give Tyra a little hug. Then he turned to me and asked if he could see me outside for a moment. We weren't outside long, but we exchanged numbers before he left for the hotel. Somewhere in our brief conversation earlier, I remembered him mentioning an earlier flight. A month later, I had returned home from my Saturday morning advanced step class at the gym and wasn't in the shower two minutes when the phone rang. Hello? Hey, can you talk? It was Stefan. Four weeks had gone by since he left Atlanta. I hadn't heard one word from him and suddenly, out of the blue, he calls. Even after our brief meeting a month ago, I hadn't become a great fan of comedy. Well, not yet, but I did watch a popular Saturday night amateur talent show on television. As Tyra had mentioned at the club, he'd become the show's new host not long ago. Yes. Hey, how are you doing, I asked, almost dropping the phone as my eyes fell on the vanity mirror. I had dashed out of the shower without grabbing anything to dry off with. Goosebumps competed with the water droplets running down my legs. I'm making it. I'm hanging in there, he replied in a low voice. That's good. Would you mind holding on for just a moment? When I heard the phone, I jumped out of the shower, and now I'm standing here dripping all over the floor. I laughed. Um, Carrie, are you butt naked? His voice dropped even lower. Then he began to chuckle. Nah, see, Carrie, you got this call all wrong. See, this is how I do it. First of all, when I make a booty call, it's going to be late at night. And second, you would know that's what I'm calling for before I called. Of course. Very funny. Now, hold on. I reached over to my bed and grabbed the comforter to wrap around me. So, if this isn't a booty call, then to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm in town to do a show tonight. It starts at 9, about 9 o'clock. Really? Tonight? I wonder why Tyra hadn't called to say that he was back back in town again. Are you doing anything tonight? I mean, do you and your friend have plans? 
When he said, your friend, I knew he was referring to Linwood, but I decided to let it pass. No, I didn't make any plans with my friends for tonight. Would you like to call my friends and tell them about the show? I was just messing with him when I said friends. Linwood went back to Florida coast the same day that Stefan left Atlanta. No, no, you don't have to call them. What's wrong? You can't come to the show tonight by yourself? Yes, I can, I replied, thinking to myself, are you asking me to come? Hey, Carrie, what's up with you and that dude that I saw standing guard over you? Tell me the truth. Are you two together, or is that something that only he wants? Wow, he could come to the point after all. Who, Linwood? He's been a good friend of mine for years, but that's all we are. Friends, that's all, he asked. Yes, I mean, we were kind of together for a while, but it was never real serious, and besides, it ended years ago. And we've remained friends. That's it. Nothing more. I shrugged, moving the comforter up higher over my shoulders. Yeah, you say nothing more. But that brother wants more. That's why I left that night at the Waffle House. I thought, hey, what's up with this dude? Is he with her? Because he damn sure ain't happy that I'm here. So I left. Um, well, we're just friends, I replied. He was either going to believe me or not. I sure wasn't going to beg. Okay, maybe I was just seeing more than what was there. Guess I haven't really had time to pay attention to much of anything lately. Carrie, the last month is a blur. With nonstop meetings, appointments, and performing my stand-up, I could hear him sigh. Really, really busy, trying to make my dream happen. What dream? I just opened a comedy club in Oakland. Ten years ago, when I started doing comedy, I dreamed of opening my own club, and I finally did it. Wow, that's great. What's the name of the club? Harvell's Comedy Club. How are you going to manage a club and perform at the same time? Are you going to perform at your own place? Nah, I'm going to have one of my good friends manage the club. He's my boy. We grew up together. We talked about this and that for another half hour. Then he asked if I would come to his hotel before the show. He was at the Marriott Courtyard on Roselle Road, room 318. Just come right up. And what would you like to do once I get there? I asked slyly. I don't know right now. You just get here and when I see how you look, I'll decide. What? He burst out laughing. Nah, how about we decide what's next together once you get here, okay? How long do you think it's going to take you, seeing that you're naked and all? Um, it's about noon. It's still early. There's lots of time before you have to get ready for your show tonight. I can be there within the hour, and that should give you at least, what, five hours of downtime before you have to rehearse or do whatever you do before a show? Rehearse? Girl, you really don't know anything about me, do you? I have been doing stand-up for almost 10 years. My jokes are about things that have happened to people I know, or to me. Sitting in the airport is where I get a lot of my ideas for stand-up. It's funny watching black and white families traveling with their kids and seeing the differences in how they discipline them. Even when I go to the grocery store, when I'm in the checkout line, I look at what's in the white people's basket. They buy brand name items like band designer food labels. But us now? Our basket is full of generic food labels. We buy generic generic canned goods, day-old bread, peanut butter and jelly combination in the jar. The only thing that black people don't go generic on is their rice. We buy Uncle Ben's rice like that's our real uncle. Our meats have a lot of fat on it because we use it to add flavor to our greens or something. To us, 
Bad and expensive labels don't make the food good. It's the seasoning. You know, black people are the only race that could take the slop food their slave masters gave them and make it taste good. They made it taste so good that now pig intestines are called chitlins and, and considered a delicacy. Now, these are the things that I talk about in my stand-up. It's real to me, so I don't have to rehearse. Well, I guess you set me straight, I said in a playful way. When I get there, I'm certain that you and I can put our heads together and come up with something to do. I had more immediate concerns on my mind. Our plans could wait. All right, I'll see you soon. Yeah, peace. My makeup wasn't quite even. The only thing I hadn't put on yet was my lipstick because I wanted the gloss to look fresh. The clock on my dashboard said 1.30 when I pulled into the hotel's driveway. I went straight to the back and park. The lot wasn't full, so I drove to a spot that faced away from the hotel. Nobody up in the rooms would be able to see what I was doing through the rear window. Just in case Stefan had watched me drive up, I didn't want to be seen touching up my face powder, eyeshadow, or anything like that. Plus, I wanted to put on my lipstick without an audience there my look was flawless and i smelled beautiful too thanks to the sample vital of chloe perfume that i dropped in the ashtray one day after leaving macy's cosmetic counter i drove around to the front of the hotel before getting out of my car to walk in my heart was beating fast from the anticipation of seeing him again i called him from the lobby hi it's me i'm downstairs do you want aren't you coming up just take the stairs to room 318. Well, he was eager for sure. When I reached the landing for his floor, I saw him standing in the doorway to the right waiting for me. It was like being in the spotlight, having him watch me walk towards him. But the warmth of that big, gentle smile and those lips chased the nervous feelings away. Now that we were close, I wasn't sure. Hug, kiss, or both? Hi. My arms and hands stayed down, holding onto my leather jacket in a vice grip. Hey, Carrie, you look nice, he said. Then he stepped to the side and with his hand out, welcomed me to his room. It was modestly small, large enough for a five-drawer chest, television storage cabinet, king-size bed with a round headboard, and one small nightstand that had a lamp with a funky trapezoid shape on top. The comforter and curtains matched exactly with their readiest prints of purple, red, and orange flowers. When I saw the bedding, it reminded me of a photograph taken of my mother and father's bedroom in the 70s. I sat down on a small love seat that faced the television. There was a large suitcase on the floor of the open closet across from me. It didn't look like he had unpacked much because there was only one outfit hanging and a couple of pair of sh uh, dress shoes on the floor. He was standing over by the closet with his butt back against his chest of drawers and his hands folded. I looked at him and said, So, Mr. Man, have you decided what you would like to do yet? Carrie, you know it really doesn't matter what we do. I just wanted to see you. This gig tonight I took just so I could be in Atlanta to see you. I hope you don't mind. Feeling somewhat nervous, I ducked my head for a second. That was sweet of you, and no, I don't mind. Do you think it's possible for me to get a hug? Of course. I stood up, my curiosity growing as I walked over to him. Yes, you can have a hug. I placed my arms around his neck. 
he put both of his arms around my waist, and in a firm but gentle way, he pulled me closer to him. I knew he must be picking up a little nervousness on my part because I was having a hard time relaxing. I was comfortable letting the upper part of my body touch his. On the other hand, I wasn't as at ease with the lower portions being so close. It wasn't overly obvious, but I felt him trying to widen his stance so my hips could slip in between his thighs. He turned his face and bent his head down to put a cheek against mine, resting his chin on my shoulder. Then he slid both hands to the lower part of my back while pulling me close to him. I gave him a nice hug and kiss on the cheek. After that, he took a deep breath in and slowly exhaled as I pressed against his chest so tightly that I felt his expansion and contraction. He moved his face away from my cheek and looked deep into my eyes. This made me even more nervous than I already was. Carrie, you smell good. Thank you, I replied, as his mouth moved from my neck to my lips. He shifted his feet apart more. I was close enough to now feel his penis move. Do you know what I would really like to do, Stefan asked. I thought, Lord, I can only imagine that if it had something to do with the post behind his pants zipper. But I took the challenge. What, Stefan, what would you like to do from the moment that I first saw you? I wanted to kiss you. Wow, a kiss? That's all? Stefan Harvell wants a kiss from me? Any man that will fly to Atlanta to see me and request nothing but a kiss? Well, it's my pleasure to grant his request, I smiled. Then I closed my eyes and kissed him gently on the lips, twice. I was a little jumpy at first, but a kiss seemed safe enough. In a low tone, he said, Carrie? That was nice, but I know you have kissed someone before. You can do better than that. We are both adults. I mean, if you really want to kiss me, it's okay to kiss me. Can you open your mouth? Usually, I don't kiss someone in a such a passionate way the first time we're together. Nevertheless, I didn't want him to feel as if I were holding back, so I went with it. It was a first for me, giving it to a man's desire above mine, because normally, I wouldn't appease, but damn. He was so cute, and he had this thick, black, flawlessly trimmed mustache that dressed his lips perfectly. It was such a turn-on. So this time when our lips touched, I opened my mouth some, and he slid his tongue between my teeth. I returned the compliment. Each time he kissed me, his hand moved back and forth across the small part of my back. We kissed again again and again each one longer than the kiss before the throbbing in his pants was beating a tattoo at the zipper okay i said pulling back from his lips and glancing over at the clock radio on the nightstand it's almost three o'clock and we haven't even decided what we are going to do he leaned over and gave me a quick kiss on the lips when I'm on the road, I really don't leave my hotel room. Most of the time, I wait and eat at the club if they have a kitchen or get some room service sent up. Usually, if I am in the city for more than one night, I'll go to the nearest mall because I don't drink, smoke, or dance. I either spend the time in my room or the mall because it relaxes me even if I don't buy anything. Suddenly, I felt his penis jump. It startled me, and I pushed myself apart from him, sitting back down on the love seat where my jacket was. Okay, let's go to the perimeter mall. It's not far from here, and it's pretty immense.
Sometime during the afternoon wanderings, we'd begun talking a little about our lives, who we knew, what we liked, how we looked at life. When we were seated in the restaurant with lemonade for me and a tall glass of water with a wedge of lemon for him, we talked, the talk turned to our private lives and family. Carrie, what is it that you do for a living? Oh, I'm a flight attendant. You know, a marry me fly free girl. Okay, that's a joke. You're not funny. I know funny, Stefan said with a smile. Then he continued talking about what his life had been like growing up compared to now. Thank you, I said to the waitress as she placed our drink orders on the table. I took a sip of my lemonade and continued listening. He grew up in Newark, New Jersey, where his parents and the rest of his family still live. But now he was out in Oakland, California, where the action is. For anybody in show business, he asked where I had come from. Well, when I was younger, I lived in Fairfield, California for a few years. My father was stationed at Travis Air Force Base near Sacramento. We lived on base. That's also where I learned how to swim. I can only remember one requirement that my father had, and that was that everyone in the family had to know how to swim. So every last one of us, my mother, sister, and I, had to take swimming lessons. He retired as a general, but by that time, my folks were living in Washington, D.C., my parents aren't together anymore. Mother is still single and lives in Durham, North Carolina with my sister. On the other hand, my father couldn't wait to get married again. He still lives in D.C. with his second wife. When I finished spilling my guts about my childhood, I looked across the booth at Stefan. His eyebrows were raised and he had this very careful blank look on his face. It's okay, Carrie. My parents are together, but they have gone through some rough times in their marriage, too. He smiled and reached over to retrieve his glass. We hardly noticed the waitress slipping plates with chicken club sandwiches in front of both of us. It seemed we were pretty much on the same plane. Neither of us drank, smoked, or did drugs. Stefan doesn't like a lot of people around him, but hates being alone. He's a divorcee, also with the seven-year-old child from the marriage. It was nice learning about the man, not the performer, and it was normal. The kind of thing you learn about someone you're getting close to. None of it was going to make headlines in the National Enquirer. Then he casually dropped a remark about his love life. I just ended a three-year relationship with the woman that lives in Oakland, California. I could feel my body tense as I toyed with the lettuce leaf under my sandwich. So, are you involved with anyone now? I asked. No. And I kind of miss it because she used to travel on the road with me sometimes. The reason we separated was because I believe she cheated. She never admitted it, but I have my suspicions. This woman family lives an hour outside of Oakland. And the last weekend that we were together, she decided that she was going to up and visit her sister for the weekend. Well, on that weekend, thank you. He stopped talking in the middle of a sentence when the waitress replaced his water with a new glass. Stefan removed the lemon from the rim of the glass and placed it on the table, uh, sweet and packed low. Then he returned to his story. I was off for the weekend, and she was always complaining that I'm never home much to do things with her. So I decided to surprise her, and since I wasn't working, do whatever she wanted to do. She wanted to go up and visit her sister. 
Okay, I thought it would be nice if I joined her, but she said no because they already had plans for the weekend. That didn't include me. He stopped and took a sip of his water. Carrie, you know how you get that feeling inside like something just ain't adding up, he asked. I had a mouthful of chicken sandwich, so I just nodded yes with my eyes and invited him to go on. Yeah, everyone get those feelings. It makes you more determined to get to the truth. So I told her that I would go up to visit a buddy of mine and his wife. She didn't even want me to stay the night at her sister's with her. That pissed me off, but it was cool. It was. He nodded as if trying to convince himself. But I knew I could stay at my friend's house while she stayed at her sister. Saturday when I got there, I hung out with my boy and his wife at their house, watching sports. Nothing big. The next morning, I woke up around 6 o'clock and something didn't feel right to me. I hadn't heard from my girl the entire time that I was there. My friends were up and getting ready for church. So I decided to pack and head back down to Oakland. But before I got on the interstate, something inside of me told me to go by her sister's house. By now, it was 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, still pretty early. When I got there, I couldn't see her car. Now I was really curious, so I knocked on the door. I saw curtains in the living room moving back and forth. There was music too. When I first went up to the steps, then it got all quiet and no one answered the door. I left and got in my car, just drove home. On Monday, she still hadn't came home. I got up, went and found me a condo to rent, called some friends, told them that I was moving right out. They came over and helped me move my things out and that was it. When she got home later that night, she called my page and left a message, cursing me out on my voicemail. I was with this girl for three years. Carrie, would you cheat in a relationship? Absolutely not. I'm not the cheating type. I lifted my glass of lemonade and pointed the straw towards his lips for him to take another sip. It was close to 6 o'clock when we finished eating. We both decided that it was getting late and we probably needed to head back to the hotel now if he were to get a decent amount of downtime before the show that evening. While we were in the car on our way back to the hotel, we continued talking. The privacy of a car gave us the opportunity to get to know one another better. He did most of the probing by asking me a few personal as well as non-intrusive questions. Things like, what do you do in your spare time? or what are some of your hobbies are pretty standard questions on a first date. But when he asked if I was dating anyone, I must admit it made me blush. Well, even though I'm a flight attendant, traveling for pleasure is something I enjoy doing in my spare time. I could say that my hobby is working out, but I think of it more as like my passion. I have a membership at the gym. Even if I am on the road, I try to work out at least three times a week. He reached over with his left hand and squeezed my bicep. Wow. He moved his hand down to my thigh. It's certainly done wonders. Now he's rubbing and patting my leg. I can see that you're pretty strong. His lashes were half lowered and he had this comedic smirk on his face. Okay, Stefan, I am trying to drive here, I said laughing. And you didn't let me finish answering all of your questions. Go ahead, I'm listening. Thank you, Mr. Man. The answer to your last question is, no, I'm not in a committed relationship with anyone. When we got to the hotel, I pulled up to the front entrance and parked. I was pretty tired, so I decided not to attend the show because I didn't think I would be able to stay awake for the end. 
He understood, especially after I told him that I need to be up early for our church's 7 a.m. Sunday morning service. We talked for a few minutes longer, just the chit-chat of friends. Stefan told me how much he enjoyed my company, and I said I enjoyed him as well. I gave him a hug and got a kiss on the cheek in exchange. Before he got out of the car, he told me that he'd call me sometime tomorrow, and then I drove off dreaming. When I got home, I called Tara and told her about my day with Stefan. Memories of November 11th, 1993, looking back on how it was. Being on the road wasn't fun, but being alone in the hotel room was special. He would watch me talk, not always listening, but just watching. The first year together was tough. We had to learn to fit together. He's not a talker except when he's on stage. Out of the spotlight, he enjoys the chance to be without having to say anything at all. I, on the other hand, am always talking because I love to communicate with people. I'm connecting when I talk. He found his comfort in quiet solitude, being apart from others, with only the two of us. In his profession and working as hard to be successful as he did, that wasn't always a luxury we had. So when we did, it was priceless to him. He was unpretentious, so we did normal things. We talked and played early in the day, and when it got closer to his quiet time, which he called being in the zone, we spoke less or he would rest. I'd help him get ready for that night's show by ironing his clothes and making sure he has something to eat. The fact that I made the effort to see him, to be there with and for him, was something he never failed to show his appreciation for. Some cities have fonder memories for me than others, like Houston, Texas, where we first made love, and Savannah, Georgia, where he first said, I love you. That Houston show was memorable for other reasons as well. The room that he performed in was set in a donut shape. He had never done stand-up in a donut-shaped room before that night and wasn't used to playing to an audience that was all around him. Plus, the gig had been booked by a fairly unseasoned showboating young manager who made a lot of promises. This was the first night they had worked together. The manager promised to deliver him big things and big bookings. He guaranteed Stefan that he would make his name known worldwide. Stefan, not quite convinced, said, This brother, Persia, I've heard he has connections with other people in the business that I may need to open some doors. He's long on talk, but wow, he can deliver. After that night, I didn't think I would ever see that big man again. Deliver he did because Stefan and Persia business relationship came together like the dynamic duo. Jackson and Franklin in the 1974 hit movie Uptown Saturday Night, played by the history-making team of Sidney Portier and Bill Cosby. And a year later in the movie, Let's Do It Again, they teamed up once more as Williams and Billy Foster, a couple of blue-collar workers setting out on another mission, impossible mission to overcome their financial and career challenges. Challenges. As a team, they were making history together. Even though that was the night he truly started to climb the ladder to fame, for me, it will always be the night we made love for the first time. I was nervous, but I think he was even more nervous than me because on the first two attempts, the condom broke. Once past the jitters, we made magic. But where there's magic, there's tricks. I should have known that then. But I didn't. All I knew was the touch of the magician. 
I loved his tenacity. Six months later, we went back to that same club in the round room, and he played to every member of the audience like he was telling that joke just for them. He was good. So very, very good. Sometimes at things I wasn't aware of, but put him on the stage and he have the audience in the palm of his hand, they'd still be laughing. Days later, the first five years, memories of January 1994, the ways you do the things you do. Stefan liked me to look perfect. Clothes to him are like the wrapping on a gift, something to be savored and admired before undoing the bow and taking it all off. Lately, with him on the road so much, he's had to settle for calling to have me describe what I'm wearing. He starts by asking the color of my toenail polish and then wants a description of my thong. He may even ask the designer's name. Those two things are his obsessions. This man loves to see my apple-shaped ass in a thong. My description is always slow and enticing to ensure he gets aroused and his imagination can take him where he wants to be. The way we made love was magical. He's so gentle and considerate. There was no rushing, making it as much for my pleasure as his. I love the slow, soft whispers, even though my body wanted things to move faster. He drew my legs around his waist. Then I cupped his face in my hands and ran them down his neck, feeling the cords of muscles stand out in hard ridges as he struggled to control himself from reaching his peak. He wrapped one arm around my waist and hoisted me up onto his thighs. My face was so close to his that I felt the warmth from his breath. With the palms of his hands, he grabbed my ass, massaging it around and around, back and forth, squeezing it softly. My erect nipples tingled from the touch of the hair on his chest and the pulsing from between my legs. I grabbed his ears and gave him a kiss on the lips, then another one, then another, this time longer. Every time that I kissed him, he hunched his back, pulling me in closer. Still holding on to his ears, he kissed my face, my forehead, nose, chin, and lips. He stopped at my lips and circled my mouth with his tongue, going one way, then the other. I let go of his ears and gripped his shoulders with my fingernails while moving my hips up, down, and around in a circle real slow. He got so excited, he wears his tongue in my mouth and flicked it from side to side. The pulse between my legs was now throbbing. Under his breath, I heard him saying something like, oh shit, or damn, her ass is so good. Then he circled my waist and drew me closer to him, never breaking the eye contact. I am here to please you, Carrie. I'm not in any hurry. Tell me, Carrie, what feels good to you? He lifted my hips up some to slow me down. My voice was caught in my throat with my heart and I couldn't speak. I leaned back on the bed as he followed. Now he was on top of me, touching and kissing my shoulders all over. He need to open my legs wider. When I did, he slid down and cupped the breast in each hand. The wet warmth of his tongue circled one nipple, drawing it into his mouth. Then he switched breasts and tasted the other. My hands were holding on tight to the corners of the pillow underneath my head. I couldn't move because my body was exploding with passion inside. He looked down at me 
I looked up at him. Then suddenly, he had moved over on his side, leaving a leg across mine and his erect penis pressed against me. In a single motion, he had both of my hands pinned down together above my head while his other hand began probing between my legs. With one arm between my legs, he rolled over, picking me up and straddling my legs across his chest. Then, like a crab, he scuttled towards the foot of the bed, sliding his hands under my thighs and cupping them backward over my legs. I didn't think it could get any better, but it did. I grabbed the top of his hair and positioned his face between my legs, then slid my hands underneath his head and locked them. It was intense. His touch made my moans turn to screams. Then, finally, 20 minutes later, when he'd taken me as high as I thought I could go, he relaxed his arms from their grip on my thighs. I exhaled and moved my ass backward from his face. Beads of sweat were trickling down between my breasts. With my hand, I wiped across his mouth. Then he reached up with his finger and traced down the center of my chest. I moved down more and rolled him for a while. He looked directly into my eyes and said, Carrie, slow down. Then he flipped me over so that he was now on top. He reached down and touched my face, running his fingers around the outline of my mouth. I could tell he was pleased by the quickening of his breath and the tension in his body. Just before his excitement peaked, he looked down at me, again, eyes wide and dark, and cried, I'm about to nut, I'm about to nut. Over and over again, he kept repeating, I'm about to nut. I dragged my mind back from where my body sensation had taken it to focus on him and what he was saying. Bout and nut? When I looked up into his eyes, they were urgent and demanding. Would you nut with me, baby? Huh? Will you? Wanting to please him, I whispered into his ear, sure, baby, I will. But I didn't know what he wanted. What is nuts? What does it mean? I was still trying to figure it out when suddenly he squeezed me tight and started moving faster. Then it was over and he lay panting across my body, the sweat on the back gleaming in the lamplight. So, I guess that's what I'm about to nut means. I hadn't known the words, but that was part of my education too. I didn't nut with him, but I'll know how to go with his passion next time. There were growing pains during the first few months of our relationship. Everything was new, and we had to work at getting to know one another. I loved to sleep in oversized t-shirts and socks, but he made it clear that t-shirts and socks were not pleasing to him. So I obliged. I wore to bed exactly what pleased him, a thong, and that's all. Sometimes I would only get a few hours notice that he wanted to come and see me. It kept my life in a constant turmoil. I panicked because no matter how little advance warning I got, I was expected to pass a head-to-toe inspection. I would beg my hairstylist to fit me in, then dash off to another salon to get waxed, clipped, tucked, and plucked just so I could be perfect for him. And how often was I the last one through the boarding gate at the airport? I was exhausted before I ever got there. Adding to the pressure was the fact that he is a very visual man who loves anticipation. He would ask me what I was wearing before I had taken anything out of my closet. It was always make sure you look the way I like 
translation, make sure that I came up to his standards. He wanted men to know that this fan woman was there with him and have them envy him for it. I held my breath from the minute I boarded until the plane landed and even in the car on my way to meet him. I didn't relax until I passed inspection with a nod followed by a smile and ending with a hug. Then I could breathe. In the first year, I began going on the road with him to his comedy gigs. They were sporadic trips for me, but it was a grueling way to live and unnerving at times. Still, I can't remember a time that he didn't tell me how much he appreciated my being there with him. He was the worst packer and would be the first to admit that he has no organizational skills. Forgetting something, toothbrush, underwear, or clothes was part of the course. One time, he didn't have any casual clothes to change into, so I suggested we go to the mall and pick up a pair of slacks and a shirt. When he hesitated, I asked what was wrong. He said, I don't have any money because I haven't gotten. I stopped him in the middle of his explanation. I'll pay for them. I'll also buy lunch. Back then, when he did a show in Atlanta, I would pick him up drop him off at the club and pick him up after. Those were happy days for me. I didn't know much about show business, but I can see in everything he did that his eye was on the future and he knew the future to fame. The time that we shared alone was special. I didn't even mind when in the middle of our conversations he would stop talking because he was getting into his zone. The zone was a transition period where he prepared to go from his onstage self to his onstage persona. That was okay. I understood why he needed that space. I would be there waiting when he came off stage again. My darkest year. Year two was a difficult year for us, both collectively as well as separately. His comedy club was causing him a great deal of stress. We talked and agreed that because he is a hands-on person, trusting others to represent your best interests isn't easy. Even on the road, he was always on the phone and pacing the floor. Him and his ex-wife weren't getting along either. He was having trouble with his former manager in Atlanta that involved the lawsuit. He couldn't eat or sleep, and I wondered to myself, what else could go wrong? Never ask what, because something always does. The second day of a three-day working trip, I felt warm and nauseous. In my years as a flight attendant, I had been queasy from bumping through air pockets, drop in cabin pressure, and lousy food, but this was different. When our crew got to the hotel during the layover, I called a cab and went to the nearest clinic. They took my temperature and drew blood. While waiting for the test results, it occurred to me that we could get a jump on the recommended treatment if I told them what I was, what I thought it was. Doctor, would you mind if I tell you what I think could be wrong with me? Sure. I should have your results in just a moment, but go ahead. Well, I have some sinus problems and allergies. The queasiness and motion sickness could be because I have a little inner ear infection. I've had them before and my explanation was interrupted by a knock at the door. It was the nurse with my test results. She handed them to the doctor and left the room. Was I right, doctor? Do I have an inner ear infection? His head was down as he was reading. He looked up and said, no, your ears aren't the problem. You're pregnant. When I got home, I called Stefan to tell him that I was pregnant. We greeted each other in that, hey, what's up? What's up with you kind of way? What if I told you I was pregnant? What would you say? What are you saying? 
The scene played in my head, but the lines never got spoken. I'll be in Atlanta next Friday for a show. I'll see you then, okay? Yes, until then, Stefan. I decided not to tell him over the phone. This was a talk we should have face to face. It was only a week to wait, but it felt like an eternity. We'd been together for two years and I still worry more about laying something heavy on him than on what that same thing would mean to me. Stay tuned for part two of Men Will Lie When the Truth Will Do, The King, His Queen, and His Other Woman. And if you would like to advertise your business in Geneva's Closet, you can email me at genevascloset22 at gmail.com. I would like to know how you all feel about this situation and why you are letting me know. Could you please like and share this video and subscribe to Geneva's Closet if you haven't already done so right here on YouTube. And you can follow me on Facebook at what? At Geneva's Closet. And you can email me at genevascloset22 at gmail.com. You all have a fabulous day, and I will talk to you later. Bye.